0: Thanks for joining us today. This is Kevin Mullins, pastor at Broad River Church. And we're really grateful that you checked this out. If this message has been inspiring to you, we hope that you visit our website at broadriver.church. And you can go to the plan a visit page and see if there's a time that you could visit Broad River Church in person. You also can give at that same web page, And you can check us out also on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Broad River Church. We hope this message is a blessing to you. No longer am I held by the yoke of this world. Come upon, got the yoke of Jesus. yoke is easy, his burden is so light. No longer am I held by the yoke of this world. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you this morning. Uh, why don't you just turn to somebody closely there and give them a big smile, let them know how happy you are that they are here. Good day to be in church, amen? I'd like to invite you to scripture this morning. John chapter 12 is where we're going to be, uh, page 898. Um, if you want to use the blue Bibles that are down there in front of you, um, or if you're in the front row, they're actually underneath your seat. Um, you can go to 898. Tenemos um, traductores al español disponibles. Si usted necesita uno, por favor levante su mano. I want to tell you about two things really quick. First of all, actually John and I were supposed to coordinate on this, and I forgot. But growth track number four is is happening after our gathering today, and so growth track number four is called Join. The team, and so, after going through the first steps you 've been prepared to kind of make a selection for which dream team you 're going to serve on, and serving on the dream team here is an integral part of what our God, God is doing through our church so that 's immediately following our service, even if you haven 't gone through the other steps you 're welcome to be here for today, growth track number four 'll start about twelve o 'clock It lasts a little bit less than an hour. Child care is provided snacks are provided today, Connect four and Jenga are provided because there 's going to be part of that happening. And then also I wanted to mention um, on Wednesday night, just want to highlight one of our small groups. We have a small group that actually meets at my house, led by Kate and Zim. Uh, Zimmerman, who are uh, studying the book of Hebrews. It's a really awesome book. It's a very deep book. And some of these things are things that are difficult for us to get into on Sunday morning just because they're so intricate and they're so deep. And it would take me like four hours to preach like two verses, okay? But when we have time in our small groups, we're able to dig in a little bit more. So Wednesday night at seven o'clock. Um, and it, it, when you get out into the lobby, there's a card there um, on the table that has the address and all that. I'm going to be highlighting a small group every once in a while because we are um, right now kind of in a time where uh, the first kind of half of small groups this session is over. And so a lot of them are starting new studies, and it's a great time uh, to jump in. We have arrived at week four of a series of messages called This Burden is Light. And today we're also one, uh, just a little bit under a month from from Easter. I'm excited to talk to you next week about what Easter will look like here at Broad River Church and really more importantly, how you can be a part of that. And in this time before Easter, we're considering this invitation that Jesus gave all of us to take off one way of living. Uh, Jesus called it a yoke, taking off one way of acting, living, and behaving And putting another way of living on. And so far, so good. Last week was intense, uh, but I believe God has something equally important to give to us today, and it's for all of us. Every one of us has a yoke that you carry around. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, you have a yoke that you're carrying. And by the way, the yoke is not a bad thing. We all carry a yoke. um, and, And... so you consider that as you're wearing it, what, who Jesus is and why that might matter for your life. We all carry a yoke, and Jesus is making an invitation to all of us to take one off, put another one on, take off comparison, we saw two weeks, and put on calling. Take off control, we saw last Sunday, and put on surrender. Today I want to talk to you about taking off the yoke of complacency and putting on the yoke of passion. There are two sisters and some other guys that I want us to consider here in the Gospel of John, so let's jump in. John chapter 12, and we'll read verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at a table. and having charged the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor, you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my rock and my redeemer. We ask that you speak to us today. In Jesus' name, can we all say Amen. I wonder if you've ever heard of Robert the Bruce. So Robert the Bruce, I think we have a picture of him. He's this king from Scotland. This is not an actual picture, okay? I said a picture. It's not a picture, obviously. He's this king from Scotland who united all of the clans together for the purpose of independence. He's a big part of this movie called Braveheart. How many of you have seen Braveheart? He's He's part true story, he's part legend. The story of Robert the Bruce says that before he died, he asked that his heart would be removed and that it would be taken on a crusade, his heart, by a knight. So he had a friend named James Douglas that did just that. He, he embalmed Robert the Bruce's heart, he put it in a small container, and he wore it around his neck so that every battle that he fought going forward over that next year especially, The heart of his king was pressed against his chest. At one point in 1330, James Douglas found himself in the last battle of his life. He was in Spain, he was fighting the Moors, and he found himself in an unwinnable battle. He was surrounded on all sides. He knew his death was imminent and that he was going to die. So in that moment, he reached for the heart that was strapped around his neck, and he threw it at the enemy surrounding him. And as he threw it, historians record him saying different things. Maybe he said all of it. As he threw his king's heart at the enemy, we know for sure one thing he said was, forward. He threw it and he said, forward. Another historian records that he said, forward, brave heart, as he throws it. As ever thou were wont to do, and Douglas will follow his king's heart or die. And that's still the motto of his descendants, the descendants of the Douglas clan today. Their motto is forward. And I I love that story. I love that movie. It's probably my favorite movie of all time. I I love stories like this from the past. And what it stirs in me when I watch it is, is this question. And the question is, is this kind of devotion, this kind of loyalty this kind of passion, something that just belongs in the past, or is it available to us today? I heard Christopher Walken talking the other day about the young man that went to Vietnam, and he was talking about a movie called A Deer Hunter that he was in a long time ago. And as I was Hearing him talk about the young men that went to fight in Vietnam, again, I wondered, is it possible, I mean today, to give yourself to a cause like this, to be so fully invested uh, that you would give your life for it? Is it possible to throw your, your life and your heart so completely into anything, and especially I'm thinking about your relationship with God? I believe the the answer is yes, and even more, I believe it was the the way that we were created to live. At the very core of our beings, I believe that we long to live this way. We long to live passionately. I I think that about me, and I think that about you, but, but the passion, just kind of as we live, the passion just kind of gets overwhelmed by life. Have you experienced this? Life's burdens come and life's responsibilities, and it actually seems like in today's world that, that passion is something that kind of belongs to young people, right? Maybe if you're lucky, when you get out of college, you can, I don't know, take a, a gap year before college or maybe a year after college, and you can go off to some exotic place on a mission trip, but, but then when you, you get all grown up, it gets harder and harder to see real passion. The kind of passion that drives someone to give up everything for any kind of cause. How how can that be me or you giving ourselves passionately when we have all of these financial responsibilities and we're, we're worried about stuff like global terrorism or we're worried about all the opinions of our friends online? Which reminds me of these verses that we read today. There's These four biographies of Jesus' life in the Bible, they're all recorded in in a row. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call them the Gospels. And the reason that there are four of them is that they all have a, a very different audience in mind. They are very different. And in these four accounts, there are only a few stories... There was only a few encounters with Jesus that were so important that all four writers wrote about it separately. And this is one of them the anointing of Jesus by Mary. This whole scene that we read, it goes down at the, the end of Jesus' ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and Bethany is where his, his friends live. He was going, by the way, to, to be accused and betrayed. He was going to be just a few days from this story that we read here. He's going to be given to the Romans so that he could suffer for the sins of the world. And on his way, he passes this village of Bethany. Now, Bethany was a place that Jesus went to recuperate. Jesus was all God, but he was also what? He was all man, and so he needed respite. He needed to restore himself. He needed to recuperate. And so Bethany was kind of like the place that he would go to get away. He had good friends there, so he decides, he stops and decides to spend some time with them on his way to Jerusalem. His friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, are there. So you have to feel this scene. Jesus... Twelve disciples of Jesus, friends, all gathered together. It would have been a very busy gathering because it was an important time. There was a lot to do. There was a lot to talk about, like like the kingdom of God and all of the amazing things that that Jesus had, had been doing. There's a lot to prepare for. You need to feel this in order to know how incredible it was that all of this normal conversation and activity got interrupted like it did. Everybody say interrupted. While everyone is eating, Mary, it says, slips out and she comes back with this expensive perfume. Verse 3, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. What you have to feel is how inappropriate and how awkward this moment is. Don't go past this too quickly or you miss the point of the story, right? Women in this culture don't touch men in public at all. You never touch a man, especially you don't touch them in any sort of tender or intimate way. It just doesn't happen ever. So when she does it, She hears about it immediately. People are tights. They're not happy. Mary, they're actually outraged, you can see. here, Mary, this is not okay. You can't do this. But Mary doesn't seem bothered at all by their reaction. Now, if you've read the Bible at all, you know that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they've hosted Jesus before. He's been here before. Again, this is where he would go to recuperate. You can check this other visit out. In the gospel called Luke, another time that Jesus visited Mary's home, this was a time that Mary and her sister Martha, they actually had some words. Right? They had a a pretty good conflict because while Mary was busy cooking dinner for Jesus, I'm sorry, while Martha was in busy cooking dinner for Jesus, Mary is in sitting at Jesus' feet just listening to him. It's in Luke chapter 10. Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing, everybody say one one thing, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. This other other visit, this other time that Jesus visited them, that is where Mary learned that the best place for a disciple of Jesus to be is at his feet. This other visit is the time that she learned that devotion to Jesus is more important than getting dinner cooked. Are you with me today? Mary learned this, so, so now fast forward to the last time Jesus is going to visit their home, the, the words that we read today, and now Martha is back in the kitchen again, and Mary is back at Jesus' feet, this time she takes it to a whole nother level, she goes and does something very embarrassing and awkward. There's a story that said, the story said they had she has this perfume called nard, now, I don't think that this is a word that would be good to market a perfume today. Kim Kardashian is Kim not going to have her nard line, right? It's not going to work at all. But in this day, it was really rare. It was super expensive, super precious. So the custom of perfuming guests was a custom. It was something that would happen. When important guests would come, you would get out your precious perfume. But all you would do is you would just dab them a little bit why would you just dab them? Remember, it's expensive, right? So it doesn't matter how important it is. We only have so much money, right? So we're only, it it was the the little dab will will do you method. So you put a dab on the important guest, but Mary broke the bottle on Jesus. Tell somebody next to you, Mary broke the bottle. She she pours it over Jesus so much that the Bible says the whole house smells like nard. Check it. The the very smell in the air symbolizes how much she loves Jesus. She didn't hold anything back, and it makes everybody else there uncomfortable. She's not acting respectably. and In fact, this disciple named Judas, he spoke up first, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? If you read the same story in the gospel called Mark, it says that they spoke harshly to Mary. It wasn't just kind of like, oh, Mary, you know, you're always doing something silly. No, they spoke harshly to her. They rebuked her. Her passion for Jesus in their eyes was too much. It it wasn't reasonable. It was extreme. Mary, that money could have gone to feed and clothe the poor, but I want you to make sure that you see that Jesus disagreed with them. He disagrees with their judgment of Mary's actions when when they speak harshly to her. Look at what Jesus says. You can see it in in the version From Mark, Mark chapter 14. Look at what Jesus says when they rebuke her harshly. Jesus said, I love this, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done What she could, she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be in memory of her. According to Jesus, Mary is the only person in the room, hear me this morning, Mary is the only person in the room who got the moment right. Even though these other 12 disciples with him have spent way more time with Jesus. They've seen him do way more miracles. Mary was always back at the house. She wasn't with Jesus most of the time. They've seen him and heard him teach way more than Mary has. Even with all of that, they didn't see the opportunity that they had. Sometimes we get so familiar with Jesus that his brilliance gets boring. We get used to the wonder of God in our lives. Look at how Brennan Manning says it. Because we approach the gospel with preconceived notions of what it should say rather than what it does say, the word no longer falls like rain on the parched ground of our souls. It no longer sweeps like a wild story into the corners of our comfortable piety, the gospel becomes, in the words of Gertrude Stein, a pattering of pious platitudes spoken by a Jewish carpenter in the distant past. Everybody say, ouch. And Mary, Mary says, no. I'm not going to be so familiar. I'm not going to let his wonder be something less than what it is. I'm not going to let his brilliance be boring to me. I'm not going to get numb to who it is that's in the room because I am so overwhelmed with love for him. And, and, and when I read this story, I see myself as Mary, right? I see myself as Mary when I read it. But what about you right as you read the story you say I see my I you know it's me I'm Mary I'm overflowing with devotion I'm overflowing with this kind of you know this fearless love for Jesus I don't care what anybody says I'm just pouring out my love for the Lord that's how I want to see myself but a lot of the time I don't act that way A lot of the time, I'm more like the disciples. I'm caught up in the details. I'm I'm a slave to what other people think is acceptable. I I don't want to be seen as being too extreme. I'm about things like efficiency and and getting things done efficiently and getting maximum return for the kingdom of God. And, And maybe when I see people act like Mary, maybe I even kind of treat them in kind of a sentimental way. Oh, look at how much they love Jesus. Look at how sweet they are, how sweet and innocent and the way that they love Jesus. They're they're really very sweet, but they're not really doing the work of the kingdom. Too much of the time I want to be married, but I'm really Martha. I know I should be sitting at the feet of Jesus, but I find myself instead behaving like a control freak. Mary, Mary I, I live in the real world, Mary. Okay, you're, you're doing your stuff there. I've got real stuff to do. I have real details to take care of. We can pray all day long, Mary, but at the end of the day, we still have to get things done. I'm drawn to Mary, and at the same time, I'm offended by her. You're not saying amen, but you are too. Here's the thing. This kind of passion just doesn't seem like it belongs in our world anymore. Religious people are going to say, it's too too extreme, it's not realistic, we we have real lives, we have real problems to take care of. And then non-religious people are going to say, man, people with this kind of passion, they're they're dangerous. People that love God, we we have a word for them, we call them fanatics. This is how religious people get violent, isn't it? When they love Jesus that much, this kind of passion doesn't have a place. I I want you on your Connect cards, if you're taking notes, to write down a a few things that I think hold us back from loving God with this kind of passion. Call these passion limiters or, or inhibitors of our passion. The first thing I think limits our passion for Jesus is a failure to understand the value of Jesus. We saw this. Mary is the only one in the room that really figured out the moment. She's, she's the one who understands what's actually at stake. The, the word Christ, by the way, Jesus Christ, the word Christ, it means anointed one. But Mary is the only one in the room that decides to really live that reality, The disciples are worried about impact and they're focused on the poor. Judas wants the money. He's driven by greed. But listen, Mary wants Jesus himself. She's someone we see in another story who went shopping in a market. And when she's there, she sees this pearl that matters so much to her. It's it's of such great value that she goes and she sells everything that she has just so that she can buy that pearl. We're limited in our passion by our failure to understand the value of Jesus. Secondly, we're limited by our inability to properly put in order what we love. There's this uh, awesome book and, and movie called The Big Short, and it tells a story of these this group of this small group of investors who, when everybody was losing big in the housing crisis, they were they were gaining big. When everybody was, else was hyping the housing market, they were betting against it. How many of you seen The Big Short? And, and people thought they were out of their minds because the mortgage industry in America had never failed. It's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? This this doesn't happen ever. So, so but they swapped their books. They took what seemed to be a loss and they put it in the gain column. They they took what seemed to be a gain and put it in the loss column. And then when everybody else was losing, there was this small group of individuals that had their financial future built on something solid. There was an apostle named Paul that, that did the same kind of thing. He was a religious leader that was consumed with persecuting followers of Jesus Just to be clear, the Apostle Paul thought that Jesus' followers should be wiped out. They should be exterminated. And then at some point, he has this encounter with Jesus, and his mind is transformed. Look at what he says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. For whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything. Somebody say everything. I love the, the financial language he uses there in, in, in profit and loss. Paul has an encounter with Jesus. And don't miss that there is this immediate reordering of the priorities in his life. He says, in fact, all my previous accomplishments are rubbish. They are, they're, they're garbage. The Greek word there is the Greek word skubalon, And the Greek word skubalon means something worse than garbage that we can't say in church. Paul's passion was fueled by his reordering of his life. Thirdly, I think we're limited by our inability. We're unable to overcome a pragmatic culture. Our passion for God is limited by our tendency to try to judge everything based on its practical value. This is big. Somebody needs to hear this today. Whatever I do, this is how we live, whatever I do... I need to be able to define what the immediate return is. I paid for that meal, but the portions weren't that big. I spent two hours in that movie, but it really was just okay, right? I went to church, but the sermon wasn't all that mind-blowing today. You won't say that today, but other times I'm saying. (laughs) We think it's important to get value from everything in our lives, but there's something called beauty that doesn't fit into that schematic. Mary commits this act of extravagant extravagant generosity, but it doesn't make sense to the people living in the real world. You should have sold it for the poor. Why Why are you wasting this value? This is so big for a couple of someone's here today. When we measure things only by their ability to produce results and not for what they are really worth, all the beauty and the joy are squeezed out of life. The disciples weren't just focused on they 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 were just focused on goals. Even Jesus's goals—that's what they were focused on. But Mary saw the beauty of the person of Jesus. My my wife does something really annoying. You do, <laughs> just, just one, but along the way in our lives, in 25 years plus of marriage now, there's been many times we've been really, really broke, right? I'm talking about times in our lives when we weren't deciding how much we were going to spend at the grocery store, we're deciding if we can go to the grocery store, right? Some of you know how that is, right? So sometimes in those times, and when, when those times get going, I get really tight, right? I'm like, I'm like watching everything, and I'm, I'm seeing, I'm not like this anymore. You understand? This was how I, how I used to be. But in these times, Jacinda will come home from the grocery store, and she'll have this huge bouquet of flowers. I'm saying, like people, we need milk. Riley's over there, you know, unable to almost live because he didn't have any, any milk. I took it too far, too far, too far. I saw Riley and I was like, there's one more step, but no, no, no. But what is, what is Jacinta doing in those moments? She's, she's recognizing that, that there's this thing called beauty. There's something more than just the ledger. There's something more than just what's in the, in the box in the ledger. The church, by the way, the church is all about people. It's all about souls. Every Sunday morning before our gathering right here, uh, our team breaks from uh, planning and and they get together and they pray. And and when they they break, we we have a thing that we say every week. When we break, what do we say? Lives changed, right? It's what we break with every week. This, that's what this is about. That's what we focus on. We don't see people as numbers. Everyone matters. Our souls are not com- commodities that we just trade on the market, and they can't be ignored. Souls require attention and cultivation. Mary poured out, out all that she had for the beauty of that one moment because Christ was worth it. Here's the fourth thing that limits our passion we're offended when our motives are critiqued. We're offended when our motives are critiqued. So we're not talking about Mary now. We're talking about the disciples and G- Judas. This is what limits passion. We're offended that way. The, the last thing I'd like you to notice is how we resist passion in our lives. And then when, when we encounter real passion, it, it holds up a mirror in front of us to examine ourselves with. We live we, we, we like to point at, at Judas, and Judas is a, a fortunate scapegoat for a lot of us, and how awful he was. But I believe I'm more like Judas than I want to imagine. Why wasn't this perfume sold and given to the poor? This is a year's wages. It, it sounds like a reasonable argument to me. And we, we like other people to be reasonable, because when other people aren't reasonable, it threatens how comfortable we are. I've seen people criticize people in the church for their passion and they'll say it a whole lot of different ways. But the truth is when we experience the real deal and when we compare it to our faith, it's going to hurt sometimes. Write this down. John Tyson says, passion always critiques complacency. What's normal? Normal. Normal is binge, binge watching entire seasons of, of TV on Netflix. Normal is spending 10K on a trip to Europe. That's normal. Normal is, 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 is trading uh, training for, for hours a week so that we just look just right. That's normal. Tracking our, our fantasy team like we work on Wall Street. <laughs> That's normal too. But devoting your life to serving Jesus, that sounds extreme. Right? That sounds unhealthy. That, that, doesn't, that sounds like too much. I don't think any of the things that I've listed are bad necessarily, but but when we get a passion for Jesus, one of the things that that comes with it is a critique of how out of order our loves are. The things, hear me this morning, the things that we love are out of order. When we get a passion for Jesus, he reorients the things we have affection for so that the world can see what true beauty is. And that's what's up. Turn to somebody and tell them that's what's up. Here's good news. Here's good news. Buried underneath all of your reservations, buried underneath all of your guilt, buried underneath all of your hesitation, there is this hunger for a passion that you can give yourself to fully. Deep down in your souls, we all long for something to wake us up from the sleepiness of our culture. Underneath all the small talk that you spend your day with, and underneath all the bills, and underneath all of the drama you have at work and your hobbies, even underneath all of your church events, there is a need for something worth giving your life to. That's what's up. I told you, uh, guest of honors, Get anointed with oil as a sign of respect, but remember they just got a drip It's carefully measured out. It's rationed It's saved because there are other guests to come and we have to make sure that there's enough But mary just didn't put a little bit here or a little bit there. She broke the bottle She pours it on him. She wipes his feet with her hair. This is a challenge to my reserved spiritual nature I want to just kind of spread my devotion to God out over my lifetime, and Mary says, "No, I'm going to spend a fortune for this one single moment." Mary calls us to completely abandon ourselves to Christ. She, she, she rips up the formula for how a rabbi is supposed, how a woman is supposed to act in front of a rabbi. She rips it up. She tears the formula up, pours out everything she has for Jesus. Hear me this morning, when we encounter the love of God, breaking the bottle is the only appropriate response. There is more power in a moment of passion than in a lifetime of mediocrity. Passion is what moves the world. Passion is what shakes us out of our complacency. It's how we trade the the, the yoke of complacency off of ourselves. And it's these moments of passion that shape the history of the world. In in Matthew's version of the story, of this same story, we can see that Jesus was so moved by Mary, by what she did, that he wanted her story to be shared all over the world. He said, truly I say to you, Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So I want to ask all of you here this morning, what do you sense God calling you to leave behind? This this season leading up to Easter is exactly for this kind of reflection, to be asking these kinds of questions so when i ask you this morning have you been carefully measuring out your devotion for god in little drips and dabs i'll give i'll give god a little dab i'll show up to to church one time this this month and i want to ask you this morning is god calling you to break the bottle over him uh, the bottle of your own life at his feet Is it time to stop acting so reasonable and spend some time doing something unreasonable for God? Maybe the bottle is your time. Will you give up your time? Will you give up that precious margin that you have to, I don't know, serve our, our youth here or serve the poor or mentor people in need? Maybe the bottle is your time that needs to be broken. Maybe the bottle is your resources. Maybe you would be moved to give the largest gift that you've ever given to bless someone in an extravagant, unreasonable way. Maybe the bottle is your attention. Will you choose to, I'm going to get in trouble now, turn off late-night Netflix and read the Bible instead? Or listen to some worship music and turn your heart to God? God? Whatever it is, breaking the bottle is always worth it. And here's why. Here's why. Because passion always gets the attention of God. And not just for for you. When you break the bottle, it breaks up the complacency of those people around you too. Breaking the bottle will lift boredom off of your life and your complacency off of your life. And it, it draws you out of a place of just surviving into a place of wonder and freedom. Jesus said, Mary, what you've done is beautiful. And I think it's because only Mary understood how intensely Jesus loves us. By the way, when she broke that over his feet, she was giving a preview of what Jesus would be doing in just a few days less than a week later Jesus was washing his disciples feet and then going to his death and because he loved us he didn't care what the whole world was saying instead of perfume he pours out he breaks the bottle and pours out his blood this was the love of God the passion of Christ He took everything that he had, everything that he had, and he poured it out so that we could be reconciled to God. It seems wasteful that the God of everything would be broken for sinners like me, especially sinners like you. Wasteful, but it's the most beautiful waste the world has ever known. Stand with me today. We've arrived at that moment. Where we have to answer the question, where we have the courage to see what others can't see. It's a moment that demands everything that we have. I just want to sing this chorus together. No longer am I.